Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the well-dressed sage, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm dressed like an old man. <laughs> Wearing a vest. You look good. I like it. Well, I'm trying. You look good. Uh, someone told me that uh, he said, you know, you, you, you don't dress that well. Is that what they say? Yeah. I know who this person is. You don't dress that well, and you wear those crazy vests, and <laughs> your shirt's wrinkled, and so I, okay, so I decided to put on a vest, but Chris, my shirt is yours. Well, it's pressed. It is crisp. It is pressed. You look good. Hey, Steve, Tucker Carlson, gone at Fox News, Don Lemon, gone at CNN, but the Jew and Gentile podcast <laughs> lives <is> another day. <laughs> we haven't been canceled yet. I wonder who would cancel us. Who would cancel the Jew and Gentile no, podcast? Our enemies are saying, please keep them on. <laughs> These people help us out. They help our cause. That's right. Uh, no, it's a, it's, I'm thankful that all of you have tuned in, all seven of our listeners. Um, we have a great show lined up for you. How do you know that? Uh, why, how do I know we have a great show? Yeah. Because I feel like people tell us we do a good job and... Uh, <laughs> Well, the people are seven. Oh, okay. You get texts. I get texts. Yes, I do. Well, the texts is maybe plural over a few weeks, but I get mine one at a time. Well, I, I get a, I text messages from people and um, and I get uh, emails from people and people write into us. And so, well, you're the radio guy. You should tell me you're our radio guy. I think that's very important. That's why you do such a great job on the Jew and the Gentile podcast. I just show up, but... You're the radio guy. You're the radio personality. I'm the radio. And, and That's you a come scary on thing. And You've got a personality, though. I have a personality, <laughs> but you have the personality. That's nice. In fact, you. for those who are, can see, Chris, you you got a beard that, what do they call it when they, you know, trim it up? It, it has a term. It begins with the C, Kof, Kofer, something. I have no idea. Where they... You fix your beard. Uh, one of our good friend's son got married. I was at the wedding, and he he told me he had it, whatever that word is, for shaping oh. a very... He said, I, I look like a werewolf, but he said, for my wedding, he got all cleaned up. He looked really good. And he had a beard just like yours, but it was all trim and really nice. Well, I'm... I'm uh... Tapping into my Theodore Herzl with this beard. Very much so. But even the, there he is right behind yep. me. You can see if you're watching on YouTube right now or Facebook or wherever. Um, and notice he's not looking at you. He's looking away. That's right. He's, he's looking like, away at both of us. He's like, you need to trim I that beard. I never want to see you people <laughs> at all. That's funny because there's a picture of Theodore Herzl in the Knesset in Israel, and he's staring at the politicians to let them know, don't forget the reason that you're here. It's because of me and what I did. And so he's looking away going, I don't know about these guys. These guys forget about it. <laughs> these guys, they're not my kind of guys. That's right. Well, uh, I am confident that we have a good show for our listeners. We've got uh, Revelation chapter 14. I know Steve probably thinks we're moving very slowly. I'm really this. excited about this portion, Chris. Number one, I'm excited because I actually remembered where we let off. Let off. We stopped in verse 5, and we're starting in verse 6, and uh, I think that part's going to be good. We got, did you know? We got, did you know, I, Emily Stone? I just like saying it. Did you know? And then I wonder if she did a "Did you know?" part two. We would we have to we'll have to look. I have to look it up. I know. I don't, I've I don't, never done research on Emily Stone. All you that know much. the way I get resources. I look behind the bookshelf and see what fell, and I say, <laughs> "Oh, maybe I should read that book." That's how I got that. So you never know. Uh, all your books are jumping to the back they, of the bookshelf. When they now. go on the ground, that's when I read. Them. <laughs> if you're on the bookshelf, no chance. That's on right. the ground, on the ground, I pick it up and say, "Oh man, I, I I haven't seen this in a while. Maybe I ought to read this one again." <laughs> well, uh, so we've got Emily. Stone with Did You Know? We're, we're going to have some great news articles. There's a lot going on in Israel right now. We, a lot going on in Israel. And so uh, with Memorial Day, that they have their Memorial Day, they they have their Independence Day. My friends from the Netherlands, Steve, I tried so hard. These dear friends of ours who moved to New Jersey at the same time we did when we moved up here eight years ago or so, nine years ago, they moved from the Netherlands. And so quite a difference than from Dallas. Exactly. So they were coming from the Netherlands. We came from Who had Dallas. The bigger adjustment, the Netherlands people to New Jersey 
or the Dallas people to New Jersey. I I think they did better than us, you know. But they it they had to integrate their kids into the school system, all that. But I remember thinking, oh, I'm gonna go over there. They had a party to welcome all, you know, like to to get to know the neighbors. And oh, so- you mean they moved in and invited everybody? Yeah. They actually the <laughs> that- two people that moved in together, the wife of the our friend Esther Boonstra. Uh, from the Netherlands and my wife Karen, they became quick friends, and they said, "Hey, nobody else is throwing a party for us, so let's throw a party." That and is great. Bring- and the people came. They came. Uh, everybody came. It was great. And but they were Christ- they're Christians. That was even a greater surprise is, is that they're 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 believers. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago, Esther, the wife, calls and says that her and her family they're going to Israel. And they, uh, may, Esther's going to Israel. Well, they're there right now. So they call and they go, we can't get a hotel. All the hotels are booked, Chris. What's going on? And I said, yeah, there's no hotels available. And so they, fortunately, they found one for their family. And then they tried to get a tour. I tried to help them get a tour guide. I couldn't get a tour guide for one day because it's just, it's Memorial Day. It's Israel's 75th anniversary and it's spring. And so they found a tour guide. I was, I was zero help to them. But they're they're sending me pictures of them in Jerusalem right now. My friends from the Netherlands are Esther, touring Jerusalem. Yep. Esther, Esther, who didn't in the book of Esther never went back to the homeland. <laughs> but Gentile has Esther. She's there. Esther and Ulrich Boonstra, oh. great people. Great I miss names them. Too. Great. They're just great people. And so uh, anyway, they're over there. We, you know, we've got a lot of great things lined up uh, for the show. But I want to say this really quick before we get started. Steve, FOI Equip is what sponsors. The Jew and Gentile podcast. And, you know, I feel like FOI Equip is like a train, a, a, a runaway train that has a lot of energy. And, so, you know, we have so many things that we're doing with FOI Equip that in, it c- can connect people to the Friends of Israel. How many courses approximately? I know you haven't counted them, but a general ballpark figure. How many courses would you imagine we've done in two years? It's only been about two years. I'd say we have... More than 15 under our belt. I would, too. I would, too. Yeah, that sounds about right. But we have our courses that are going on. We have our trips that we're doing um, to connect people to the Jewish uh, communities here in Israel, or, I mean, here in the United States in Israel. But first, I just want to let you know, listen, if you're if you're catching uh, us for the first time, if you're listening, thank you for listening. Yeah, you'll be our eighth person. <laughs> let us know. Uh, <laughs> FOIEquip.org. Go visit FOIEquip.org after you're done listening. You can register for my class because Israel is selling celebrating their 75th anniversary since statehood. And so we're going to talk about Israel's independence and the three key leaders, really three key leaders that helped to, to uh, establish the state oh, of Israel. Oh, should we get them again? If you want to. Oh, yeah. They are very sensitive individuals. Yeah, yes, they are. The moment you touch one, they fall down. There's Theodore Herzl. We're going to talk about Herzl. We're going to talk about Ben-Gurion. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk either about, we might do two in one, uh, in one uh, Eliezer Ben-Yehuda, and who else do we want? Um, who was the other guy? Who we just had the four? We had them all, and you put them all back. Uh, um, those were the those oh were oh the, oh uh, Heim Weitzman. Oh Weitzman, where'd you put Heim Weitzman? I, oh, right here. There he is. Okay, good. So anyway, now the, <laughs> now they're back out again. We have our our little guys here, and so these are who we're going to be talking about for the class because they really helped shape uh, the 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 trajectory of Israel. Look at this, uh, the odd the, couple. I know exactly. <laughs> Exactly. They are. It's just such fascinating. It's amazing how God can use, you know, the the most ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that's exactly what's going on with these individuals. And so, uh, we'll we'll talk about them. I just noticed, Chris, the people with the abundance of hair have it on their face too, <laughs> and the people who are bald shave. They shave. That's right. I don't know if there's a correlation here. But that's, well, I have a beard and I'm balding. You have a beard and I'm balding. balding. But these guys were blessed. They've got hair. Oh man, they've they got plenty hair. of it. Um so anyway, uh you can join my class. Uh it's three nights. It's a Thursday on May 11th, 18th and 25th. You can register at foiequip.org. And then hey, listen. Uh we're going to be looking at the 6-day war in June. Um, it's a one night class on June 15th. Yep, because that's when it what happened. That's, that's it was, right. It was June. And so Dr. Mordecai Kadar is scheduled to come and share with us about the Six Day War. And Mordecai Kadar is a, a uh, Bar Ilan University uh, professor. He is a genius in Arabic studies. He speaks Arabic. You're gonna wa- you're not gonna want to miss this. And he talks fast. He does talk fast. Very even English. He talks 
fast. Yep. He is he is amazing. He goes toe to toe with Arabic speakers on Arabic radio, Arabic television shows to talk about why Israel is not an apartheid state and why they are you you, you know Israel should we be We should play a clip for him. Yeah, we should find one and, yeah. and play it. Yep. He's a very very fascinating man. And so Dr. Mordecai Qadar will be on with us. And finally, I just want to say this. Those are the online courses that are all free. But that just a reminder, you can join us at an event uh, with Friends of Israel by coming on one of our encounter trips, Steve. Amazing trip. Our encounter trip is to come. You can experience a Shabbat in Philadelphia uh, with a synagogue. Uh, that uh, is friendly with FOI, and we're friendly with them, and they just love the fact that Christians will come to their synagogue and celebrate a Shabbat. You can go up to New York City. Uh, do we, a Jewish, or you do a Hasidic walking tour. A Hasidic walking tour. Uh, that doesn't mean you'll put your hands behind your back and walk <laughs> hunched over. Uh, uh, th- maybe the Hasidic leader might, but uh, by the way, we tease about that because that's a very common way that uh, they stroll uh, coming coming right out of uh, Eastern Europe. But what a great opportunity. You have a relationship with uh, the man who leads that tour, and we're the only Christians that he leads a tour about the Hasidic community. And again, this is a warm friendship that we have. They love seeing our groups come. They love it. And our groups love being there. They invite us in the house, and they're Hamish, one of our Yiddish words. Very hospitable. Come on in, have a cookie, have some tea. It's a great time. It's a great experience, and that's why I want to encourage you, if you've ever wanted to get to know the Jewish community and experience it, and I'll tell you, you learn all facets of it in just a few short days. Uh, You learn about Orthodox Judaism you learn about conservative Judaism, you learn about reform Judaism, and you see it all happen right before you. And so if you've ever wanted to partake in something like this to learn more about Jewish culture, customs, and the way of life in one of the largest Jewish communities and populations in the entire world right here in the Northeast, then I encourage you to uh, join us by going to go, oh, excuse me, going to uh, foi.org forward slash encounter. That's foi.org forward slash encounter. The May 31st through June 4th experience only has about five seats left, and our June 19th uh, encounter trip only has two left. So get your names on there. I want to see you uh, as you uh, partake in our encounter trip. All right, Steve. So why don't we go to Did You Know? I love this, actually. Uh, what what was the name of this section that she did? Super Jews. Super Jews. <laughs> Super Jews. So in the book, uh, the she's covering various people and what they've written on and how they became famous, all kinds of actors and, and entertainment and writers. And this particular one, is she titles Super Jews because of the phenomenon of Marvel and DC comics, Chris. Uh, because of the Messiah, the Messiah, messianic hope. Uh, what did Jewish people yearn for throughout their history, especially during times of high anti-Semitism? They hoped for a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew about the Messiah, but they fashioned it in, in make-believe for their own. So, Superman, coming right out of Cleveland, Ohio. There's actually, Is that where it's from, Cleveland, yeah, Ohio? Yep. The, the Siegel, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster uh, co-wrote, Superman. In fact, you could go to downtown Cleveland, find the house where they, no where way. Jerry uh, Siegel was, and you can see where Superman was born in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> you were born in Cleveland, I Ohio. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. You're practically Superman. That's right. That's right. So that was in the late 30s. Captain America. Uh, Captain America was founded in the 40s by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Amazing. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> I remember when my kids watched the cartoon. Does whatever a spider can. That's Oh, there you go. Stan Lee and Stanley Martin Lieber uh, were, uh, along with Jack Kirby in the 1960s, invented and wrote about Spider-Man. Wait, it's Stan Lee what? Stan Lee. Okay, that's just, I thought you born, added. Born Stanley Martin Lieber. That that's what I was looking for. Okay, so it's Martin Lee, Stanley okay, Martin Lieber, it's Stan Lee. So that's he's not Stanley and nothing. He's Stan, Stan 
Lee, L-E-E. Yeah. L-E-E. He was born Stanley Martin Lieber. Now, wait, this is where I'm confused. I understand Stan Lee. I've seen enough of these shows. Uh, uh, the he Marvel. was born Stanley Martin Lieber. Is it Stan Lee or Stanley? Stan. Stan. End of name. Yes. Last name Lee. No, I know that. Let's talk about his Jewish name. Oh. Stanley. His name is Stanley Martin Lieber. So he took his first name and made two names. He made his last name from the Lee, and he kept his first from name. Lieber. From Lieber. Right. He, Lieber is definitely Jewish. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's... 100%. I'm sorry. Let's rewind. <laughs> so Spider-Man is written by Stan Lee, who really was born... Stanley Martin Lieber <laughs> and born and, and drawn by Jack Kirby. Oh, that's great. And then, oh, he did it again. Hulk. Mm-hmm. Hulk by Stan Lee. Stan Lee, also known oh, as. Also known as Stanley Martin Lieber. Okay. I, lo- I always like, I hope there's a section or at some time on G- the Jew and Gentile podcast, we talk about all the Jewish people that are in show business or have developed things like this and changed their names. All right, well, there's a whole list. I'm sure we can find it in here. But then, finally, the X-Men. They made movies out of that, but th- that came from, who else? Stan Lee. And so in the 60s, you had Spider-Man, Hulk, and X-Men. And it turns out that they used Captain America, Spider-Man, Hulk, and made Marvel what it part in part what it is today all from stan lee who appeared in the movies he until he passed away that's right he'd always make a little so once cameo. again emily stone we thank you even though i can't read and have trouble with stanley <laughs> and stanley lieber and all that but there you go that was great uh thank you steve i love that all right so why don't we talk revelation Chapter 14, because we already talked about the first section of it. Well, this is the proclamation of three angels. So we come to a part, let me read. Then I saw, this is John, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. And Chris, having the everlasting gospel. Mm. And I want people, if they can, to remember that. The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. What's the the good news, Steve? I I, I always, the, the gospel, and I love that they call it the eternal gospel. That means this is good news forever. Forever. The thing that I always try to remind people is that the gospel is that you have been saved from judgment. And this is what exactly what it's... T- you've been delivered from these moments that we're reading about in the book of Revelation. So that's the good... The good news is you were meant for this judgment, and yet God in his kindness and mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe on him, you'd have everlasting life. It's the eternal gospel and you would be spared from this judgment that's coming. You know, we preach that now, but uh, in a good chunk of the world, uh, there isn't, it doesn't seem like there's judgment at hand. In the context here at Revelation, it's right there. Yeah. It's in the midst of stuff going on, and this is an announcement kind of like your last shot before it gets really bad. You know, uh the other thing, too, is I hear this all the time, you know, oh, this book is fire and brimstone. It's fire and brimstone. You know, I hear people, they don't like a gospel that's connected to judgment. They like a go- I, and I believe today as believers, we can live an abundant life. But it's funny because I rarely do we hear anymore, well, it, 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 I, should, I shouldn't say rarely, but most people don't want to hear about judgment. They just want to hear about, I want a better life today. I want a better life now, you know, and Christ can give me that better life now. But clearly the gospel is not just about the better life you can have now. It, it is connected to that, but also the fact you've been delivered. You've been, you have been delivered from this judgment that's coming. A hundred percent. So in verse eight, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, 
If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Mm. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Chris, this is serious stuff. I can't help but think, uh, in my day of... uh, being on a college campus, uh, we right now have representatives with Friends of Israel who are on a college campus, and we've chosen to uh, approach people in just a conversation and talk to them. But oftentimes, you might see somebody actually standing in a free zone. I know you've seen it. I have seen it multiple times. And it almost looks, oh, you kind of say. Oh, when you say free zone, what do you a, mean? A free zone. You're a lot, free speech free, zone. Okay, I wanted to make sure. It's that's a it. free speech zone. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to preach, and, and there are preachers, who street preachers, who will stand up. And oftentimes, they're preaching similar messages. They're talking to young people who are living different kind of lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God, and you could hear these people. And so I'm trying to put myself in the in the tribulation, stuff is going on, and now you're going to see uh, preaching, <coughs> excuse me, preaching that goes on that's saying the time is short, the wrath of God is going to fall on you. How are these people going to view them? I wonder if they view them the way some of our people view the Word of God today. When you, when you simply read the Word, do you know, Chris, in Canada— and in parts of the United States, just quoting scripture texts, particular scripture texts, you could be arrested. It's considered for. hate speech. It's considered <clears throat> hate speech. And this would be considered, uh, don't we consider their feelings? Mm. I think the very reason the angels are doing this is because they are considering their feelings. We're giving, God is in his grace is giving you this opportunity Trouble, you think you have service now? You're, you have trouble service from Satan. You have trouble service from your sin nature. You have trouble from what the world system is giving you. We want to spare you from the trouble of God's judgment, which is infinitely worse and has no time limit. Consider salvation, the everlasting, the, ev- the yep. eternal gospel. gospel. Yeah. Very, very important. Well, it too, just think, isn't it interesting, too, again, when we go back to the Antichrist, do you remember what happens to him? It says in Revelation, I believe going back into 13, it says, um, you know, that he takes, he has this wound, um, and yet he's still alive, he has a mortal wound, and the people are worshiping him. And you just see... They marvel they at marvel, the beast. They marvel at him. And you just sit there, and, and when I read that, I think the same thing... Today, how we it's amazing how we marvel at certain things that are contrary to God's word and contrary to the plan that God had, and yet somehow we end up cursing humanity. God's creation curses him and then marvels at the thing at a, at a, the thing that God created in some way or creation. So well, when you consider what's been said so far, fear God, oh boy, that's a message in the tribulation, Chris. I think that's a message for today. Worship God. Judgment is coming. There's good news. Mm-hmm. So we believe, you and I believe, Friends of Israel does, that this period of time that we're in, that John has seen, is we call it the seven year, 70th week, seven-year tribulation. The message that they're preaching is good news, and part of the good news is fear God and worship him. Judgment is coming. And then it says in verse 7, fear God and gl- give gl- God glory. Give God glory. You know, before we start each of these podcasts, Chris, sometimes you pray, sometimes I pray. Sometimes I forget that you've prayed and we pray twice. Oh, it, could ne- <laughs> it couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt at all. But uh, it's our duty. It's our, du- our duty as believers. We're not under the law, we're under grace, but it's our duty to fear God and give him the glory. And when we pray, we ask God to bless our time. Uh, Please don't make us—we uh, don't want to make you ashamed of us and the kinds of things we say and funny things we, we think is funny, but we want glory to go to God, and we want to have a good time doing it as well. But this really—there's uh, some scholars who believe this is the last proclamation before 
literally the full judgment of God comes. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a it's interesting. In fact, uh, Chris, there's a what's called a, a, a beatitude. There's a number of beatitudes in Revelation. I'd like to go over them. Uh, in chapter one and verse three, and by the way, I'm taking this from the commentary, the life life application Bible commentary on Revelation. It says uh, the first beatitude: God blesses the one who reads this prophecy to the church. Remember we talked about this, a blessing. Mm -hmm. This is a beatitude, a blessing. And there's seven times in Revelation that God promises blessing upon believers. That's the first one. In Revelation 14 and verse 13 at the bottom, we haven't gotten there yet, but blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they're blessed indeed. So this message at the beginning that we're reading, the everlasting gospel, if a person believes, there's a blessing to those who believe. In chapter 16 and verse 15, blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their robes ready so they will not need to walk naked and ashamed. So preparing for the Messiah to come. And in this period of time, it's soon. Yeah. It's very soon. In chapter 19 and verse 9, when, when Christ returns, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to a wedding. I went to one on Friday. I, I, I told you about a beard. The guy did his beard, looks great. Blessed are those who are going to a wedding feast. We had good food at that wedding. There's going to be better food at this wedding feast. Mm. In chapter 20 and verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, mm. but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. That's a promise for us. Chris, and for our seven listeners, if they're believers. <laughs> Blessed are those, chapter 22 and verse 7, who obey the prophecy written in the scroll. And chapter 22 and verse 14, the seventh of the Beatitudes in Revelation. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they can enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. That's what it's all Isn't about. Isn't that great? The Beatitudes. I... I never I, thought of that about, before. I hardly ever thought about yeah. Beatitudes. We always think about the Beatitudes in Matthew, but these are the Beatitudes in John, who, who's giving us the revelation of Jesus Christ. He gives us seven blessings as we read through. And really, and, the, the Beatitudes in, in the actual context are happy. Happy are those. Yep. You know, ha happy are those who hear this and and respond to it. Happy are this is the interesting one that we're about to come to. Happy are those, uh, happy are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You know, that doesn't sound like something that you should be happy about is that you die, but in the context of the judgment that's coming and eternal life because of the eternal gospel, uh, it, it's good news. Well, you see, we always think when the person who's a believer dies, we're the one sad. They've never taken a survey of believers who've died. <laughs> we can't take a survey. Are you happy? No doubt this text is telling us, you know what? This is not just for the 70th week. Any believer who's died is going to be blessed. That's right. You're a believer. You're you'll look if you could look back and say, hey, you want to go back? You want to go back? Do you want to go back there? I, no. I don't think there'd be. I. I don't. Especially I that know, that time as well. You wouldn't want to go back once you're in the presence of the Lord. It there's nothing better than that. That's right. And so the text go goes on. Uh, the third angels followed him, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast in the image, receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will drink the wine of the wrath of God." So, so there's a mark, Chris. That that's the last straw. If you take that mark, if a person takes that mark. During this period of time, there's no turning back. It's mm. a sad, sad thing. Verse 11, and the smoke of the torment ascends forever and ever. How long is forever and ever, Chris? It's eternal. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patient of the saints. There are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's oh, funny. Sorry, here are the faith. Here, sorry. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. In verse 12, I have, uh, and it's the same con uh, concept, but it's, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful uh, to Jesus. 
You know, that's really what, uh, it's not just uh, in the book of Revelation. I mean, you think about patient endurance during a time of tribulation as a, as a believer. You have to have patient endurance. But even the writer of Hebrews talks about patient endurance, that even today we have to, we have, to have the discipline um, to live a life of patient endurance as we wait for the Lord, because we're surrounded, you know, by uh, Meshugana. We're, we're surrounded by Mishagash. How do you say that? Mishagas. Mishagas. Yep. We're surrounded by craziness. We're surrounded by the things that draw us away uh, from the Lord. We're surrounded by entertainment. And, you know, when when uh, I just came back from Israel not long ago, and I know that you've been there many times. When you go to that city, Bet Shan, you just see how the world is constantly, even then, 2,000 years ago, was constantly working to draw people away from God. And yet here is here are the apostles like Paul and the writer of Hebrews and, and here John in the book of Revelation talking about the fact that a Christian should have patient endurance. And I don't think that means that you're running as fast as you can until you run out of breath. It means that you're patiently enduring this time that you're waiting on the Lord. And Steve, I'll just say this, you know, a lot of times when people go into the book of Revelation, they go, okay, now I'm reading prophecy. But there's prophecy all throughout the New Testament. And whenever Paul, especially the Apostle Paul, writes about how a Christian should be walking with the Lord today, it's often coupled with prophecy. Why are we walking in this manner to, to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, to walk in the Lord's ways? Why does Paul call us to do these things in our marriage, in the way that we're raising our kids, in the way that we manage our finances, in the way that we should be helping each other out as a community of believers and worshiping together? All these things that we have from Paul are all, and, and, and other writers of the, gospel, of, of the epistles as well, are all couched in prophecy. Why? Because Jesus is returning. So live this way today. Be prepared. You know, John had talked about being prepared uh, for for his coming here, even in the book of Revelation. But that was even written by the other writers of the epistles, that we should be constantly living in light of Christ's return. Even Jesus tells us to live in light of his return. So the way that we walk, you know, when we hear about how we should be walking as a believer, how we should live in a certain manner for God, all of these things are not just you know, for no reason. It's so that we could be ready for his return or till the day we die and we see him in person. But all of it is kind of driving us prophetically forward. It's not just something you see in Revelation. You see it all throughout the scriptures. 100%. And if you notice, uh, judgment is coming in this context. They're being warned, but the everlasting or the eternal gospel is being preached to every nation, to... um every tribe, to every tongue, and to every people. And Chris, it's not just during this period of time. Uh, you travel to churches all over America and around the world. I've had the same opportunity. And one of the things I always do when I stop by a church is look for their mission board. I don't know if everybody knows what I'm talking about. Usually in a church, there's a mission board. That is, the church has decided they're going to support certain ministries. Uh, most of those ministries have a face. Uh, it's usually a family. Sometimes it's an organization. Uh, we're Friends of Israel is supported. The organization is supported by some churches. But, uh, Chris, you and I have churches who support us as individuals, mm -hmm. and they take our picture and they pray for us. So it happens now during the church age uh, where we're trying to send the gospel to, at churches, our local churches, to ev the highways and byways around the world, every nation, every tongue, to let them hear the everlasting gospel, the good news. Why is it good news? Contrasted in the context here, it's good news because the alternative is brimstone, burning, judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we get we could have people say, oh, the same, it's the same— it's not the same old. If God, God could be perfectly just and have not sent Jesus, mm -hmm. he could be perfectly just. He's perfect. He could have said, oh, that one didn't work out. Yep. And he, I'm not. He could, have, he, he could have done that way back in the Garden of Eden. He could have, he could have been all over. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't compromise his attributes. He's holy. He's just. So he obviously didn't have to think of it. The plan was there. He, he found a way. He gave us a way. 
And the only way was for he himself to pay the price that man did. It's grace. That's just, and it's mercy. Which is a part of his it's attributes. mercy. Yep. Uh, I was on a, a podcast yesterday, uh, a Zoom meeting, a podcast or, or Zoom meeting, and uh, they're talking about the temple. Chris, you and I are uh, going around the country as part of a team speaking on the temple. How many entryways are there into the tabernacle or either of the two temples? How many entryways are there? There's one entryway. One entry. How many tribes are allowed to work around the temple? One tribe. How many priests are allowed to go into the Holy of Holies? One priest. And when do they go into the Holy of Holies in a year? One day a year. What? Are we getting it here? <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It's so clear. It's one. Yeah. One. There's only one way. So Jesus coming uh, 2,000 years ago with the backdrop of a tabernacle of the Solomon Temple, Zerubbabel, and then fixed up during uh, Herod's time, who expanded it. It's standing when he's there. And what does he say in John? I am the way, Mm -hmm. the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one. By the way, that, that. that passage in John 14, 6, hate speech. I've, I've had people get very angry at me, angry, violently angry when I've said, I, you might have had reaction when you've quoted, well, who do you think you are? How dare you say that? Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm just, this is in the text. It's one way. It's God's way. I won't say the, or the highway. It's God's way or brimstone and burning. And we don't want to say that, but God provided a way. And and here in this passage, at the at the end, uh, in ver- well in the middle, uh, verse thirteen, uh, uh, blessed are the dead who've trusted Christ. That's really what it amounts to. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the dead uh, who die in the Lord. And uh, boy, that's. That's the bottom line, Chris. And it says, yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. That's interesting, too, that your deeds follow you. You know, what you do, it's not that your deeds save you, but what you do is accounted for as a Christian. There, We believe in the Bema seat uh, of Christ, which a Bema was a judgment seat um, in the Greek, Greco-Roman era. Uh, and uh, they actually found the Bema seat that Paul would have been standing on, I believe, in Ephesus, if I remember, or Corinth. And uh, it's a it's a judgment seat where, you know, you would stare at the judge and he would announce his... And that seat is the best in the house, by the way. It's, it's sometimes in a, in a uh, like, theater area, and there's people around. That would be the Bema as well. It's the prime seat. That's right. And Jesus will... We will sit on a bema, and and or, or and we're, we'll be judged for what we've done. There is still, for a Christian, in the way that we walk and the way that we live in light of God and His grace is sufficient. What don't you have a line about? Don't I would rather be on the, the... oh, I'd rather be in the back, the where the where the gate is coming down, scratching my back. <laughs> I'm the last guy in than the first guy at the great white throne. But th- this is also the beauty of God's grace is that, you know, you might go, well, man, I'm going to be judged left and, r- and right for the way that I've lived as a Christian. That's the beauty of God's grace is that you are saved, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and you have an opportunity right now to say, I want to live my life for the Lord right now. I want to change the way that I'm acting right now as a believer. It's not... It's not like you're you're out, you're in, you're you're like you said, you might just get the very back right there as the gate comes down. But that also doesn't mean that you're done. You you can continue to grow and it's called the process of sanctification. You can continue to grow in the Lord and you don't have to stop now. So it is interesting though. He goes that our deeds will follow us and God will will be God will judge us because of those deeds. That's very important to understand. Only one life will How's it go? Only one life will truly something, and only what's done for Christ will last. Uh, that's the, in other words, only, oh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will, will last. last. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. All right, really quick. Uh, the final section of Revelation chapter fourteen. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head, and a sharp sickle voice to him who was sitting. 
on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. You know, this, Steve, is judgment. This is it. This is the picture of judgment. It's a direct image of of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Son of Man, who we know is Jesus Christ, because Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, is riding on a cloud, just as Daniel had said, and he's bringing the judgment that that is meant to come as a result of man's sin. And you'll see when he talks about the harvest, he's talking about several things here, but here it's in relationship to both judgment and what will ultimately become resurrection in the future as well. But uh, the idea that Jesus is bringing judgment in fulfillment of what the prophet Daniel had taught in Daniel 7, 13, and 14, that it's God who had given Jesus, the Son of Man, all authority, power, dominion, judgment to rule over every nation, tribe, tongue, uh, and people group. And so here is this moment where judgment is beginning to come, a harvesting of the earth as Jesus is trampling the wine press again these images oh, of good. judgment that's squeezing right squeezing judgment that's not right good. and it's interesting because when Jesus is in the garden of gethsemane he asks the lord lord if it's your will you know let this pass Any from me any other way and isn't it interesting where he is he's sitting in the olive press of the mount of olives we call it gethsemane but in the hebrew it was gat shmanim the place of pressing and if it's even the imagery of like Luke shows us of Jesus bleeding, it's this picture of almost like a, if you've ever watched an olive be pressed, I mean, they smash that thing till there's nothing, there's zero juice left in it. And Jesus is going to take on all of that wrath that will ultimately be the thing, what protects us, those who trust in him from this judgment that's coming. And it's quite a judgment. That's right. All right, so uh, wrapping we'll, up we'll Revelation 14, yep. uh, we're going to get to Revelation 15. Steve, how do you feel like we're moving through? How do you feel? Are we going at a pace you like? Uh, I I think we're doing pretty good, especially when you get to a place like this. We like everlasting gospel. We like that. Yes. Uh, I like that. And I don't like the judgment part. Uh, no one does. But you know what I, I liken it to, Chris? We're living in a day now where crime, I, I think this is a fact in many cities, people are frustrated because there's crimes committed. In fact, in some cities now, if you steal less than $1,000, $1,000, the DA will say, nope. Misdemeanor. And the police will say, eh, not worth our time. Yep. And what if, what if you, it's your $1,000? Yep. It used to be, there'd be justice. Well, they're closing up shops because of it. They they are. And... uh. We can, if we expect that personally, God, as an absolute righteous judge, everything that's ever done is judged. Now, for if you're a believer and trust in Christ, your sin is judged, and your righteousness is not yours. Christ's righteousness covers you. Uh, but every, but still, everything's recorded. We're either facing at the bema seat, as you said, or at the great white throne of judgment. God does not look away from anything. Uh, some things are forgiven uh, if you trusted Christ. It's a, it's a complicated but yet simple thing. Chris, all of us are sinners. We're sinners until the day we die. But some sinners who have humbled themselves and come before God's grace are forgiven. And those who don't are going to be in their sin and judged accordingly. You know, it's interesting. That's the gospel. It's That's- a, it's interesting how righteousness. Uh, we should do a podcast sometime on the word righteousness and what it means throughout the Bible, because I mean, it uh, the idea of righteousness in the Old Testament just means that you're right, and oftentimes it's associated with the balance of scales. You know, uh, if you are a uh, uh, a um, immoral person, you would unbalance the scale so you would make more money. And so, in the ancient day, if you wanted to, you know, sell your grain or whatever, you'd have the scales out, and you would unbalance the scale so maybe you'd get more money from people. And God judged immoral people like that. He, it, it, the Book of Proverbs talks about it, the idea of balancing. And so, if you were balanced, you were right. If the balance is the scales are balanced properly, then you are right and right or righteous. Uh, um, and so, 
you know, that's which means there's justice. Justice is being done. You're going to get this amount of grain and I'm going to get this amount of money and we're all right here. Well, the problem is, is that we're unbalanced with God because of sin and God balances it through his son. And that's the picture of both righteousness and justice are often coupled together in the Old Testament. Uh, mishpat and zadika, as they would say in Hebrew, the justice of God and the righteousness of God go hand in hand. God will always enact his justice. The beauty of God is that he's also the justifier as well. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we've got some fun news here, Steve. Well, I'm handling two and you're handling two. Let me do the first one. You know, Chris, I think we talked about it on the podcast um, that I got an opportunity to watch the World Baseball Classic. And I even bought two Israeli baseball caps because I was so excited uh, watching uh, Israel beat the Dominican Republic. And I really forgot about that until this news story came. Laura Coleman, who is our assistant, who's very much into the news, looking for all kinds of news items, brought this to our attention. And the headline reads, the first Orthodox Jew to play professional baseball. Not the first Jewish person to play, but the first Orthodox Jewish man That's to play so interesting. professional baseball. And his name is Jacob Steinmetz. And I saw him pitch against the Dominican Republic. He's 19 years old, Chris. That's amazing. And he was pitching for Team Israel, and he was facing Manny Machado. Now, that might not mean anything to you, Chris. I know you're not a baseball fan. Manny Machado. I like baseball, but I don't follow it like you, though. Manny Machado plays for the San Diego Padres, and he signed a contract about five years ago for 10 years and 300 and something million dollars. Wow. And so the Dominican Republic is playing Israel. Uh, the Dominican Republic had several uh, MLB players. Uh, Team Israel had maybe a couple of them. And one of them, Jacob Steinmetz, technically is. He was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And actually, in the article, the first the person who picked him, Orthodox, he, he keeps kosher, Chris. He keeps the Shabbat. He's a pitcher. They're going to have to figure all that out, but he only eats kosher food. And uh, <laughs> so he got, uh, on July 13th, 2021, when the Arizona Diamondbacks selected then 17-year-old Jacob with the 77th pick of the amateur draft a month after he graduated from high school, it was a watershed pick. Jacob became the first practicing Orthodox Jew drafted to play organized baseball dating back to the first draft in 1965. And what's interesting is Arizona wasn't worried about caring for Steinmetz's religious needs when they drafted him. According to the scout, uh, whose name is Alex Jacobs, the senior vice president and assistant general manager of the Diamondbacks, Emil Saude is a practicing Jew. <laughs> so, so an Orthodox Jewish guy selected an orthodox jewish guy how do you feel right now you must I love feel it. great <laughs> this is like, a great moment this is like the sandy koufax uh experience oh, yeah, from years ago uh, from my childhood when when uh sandy koufax wouldn't pick pitch on yom kippur but here he's not going to pitch on the shabbat and when they go to the buffet he's going to say where's the kosher yeah line? exactly <laughs> Well, yeah, well, I need my own. He probably had to bring his own food and all he, that he, stuff. In minor league baseball, that's his mother sent him once a week. When Yiddish, we'd say a pekula. My mother used to pack me a pekula when I would. Uh, What's a pekula? What a pekula is a little amount. So, oh. so you're traveling, and I would stop by to see my parents if I was on my uh, from Chicago to the East Coast or from the East Coast to Chicago. I'd stop in Ohio. And my mother, don't leave. You, I got to give you a pecola. I, I got to give you something. So you have something in the car. You get hungry. So there, they had to, his mother had to send him kosher food so he could. You got to be disciplined. You have I'm, to be. Seriously, to, to be a great athlete, you have to say no to certain foods. And to be a, a practicing Jewish person, you have to say no. You have to find another way. It's a... Well, because it's not just, oh, it's not like a keto diet where you can just pick and choose what you yeah. want. And kosher food, if if foods can't touch one another, the certain plates can't touch, you know, touch certain foods. It's a very. You even have to say, hey, I, I got, I, I've got hamburger here. It's kosher meat. 
Oh, it's it's kosher. How I do, how is it killed? How how is it killed? What does it have the U on it? Yeah. Uh, there you have to ask all kinds of questions before you even eat it. You the be, rabbi has to bless it. The whole the whole nine yards. All I'm saying is that this could not get any better. An Orthodox scout drafts. An Orthodox Jewish pitcher. Who's 19. He's now 19 That's years old. That's amazing. That is amazing. And he struck out Manny Machado. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So that's my first. You go next, and then I'll take the uh, another one, and then you go. Well, Steve, uh, this actually comes from one of our listeners, Alan. I'd like to give a shout-out to Alan. Hooray for Alan! Alan, thank you. Alan is always sending me emails, uh, which I love, um, of uh, news articles and uh, things of that nature, of what's going on in Israel. And so Alan sends me one here, hidden 1,750-year-old New Testament text discovered under three layers I lo- of Chris, writing. Chris, you sent me this this morning, very early, and I'm reading this thing and saying, I can't believe they wrote over a text of Scripture. They wrote, right, it says this, a chapter of the New Testament written around 1,750 years ago was recently discovered under three layers of writing by an Austrian scientist who used ultraviolet light uh, photography. The text is an old Syriac translation of the Greek version of the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 30 through 12, uh, verse 26. The fragment is so far the only known vestige of the fourth manuscript example of the old Syriac version, which is very interesting. And uh, that... It's actually qu- quite common. I did work when I was at Dallas Seminary. I did work with uh, a textual uh, with Dr. Daniel Wallace on textual criticism. And you'd be surprised how many manuscripts when they go over some of these old manuscripts, they run ultraviolet light over them because you know back in the day they didn't have paper like we have where you can go down to your local Staples or whatever and you just buy paper. Paper was expensive. It was like owning an iPad to have paper and a, your own scroll. So they would reuse. And it was I can very see important. it now, Alice. I got to go to the grocery store. Oh, here's the book of Matthew. I yeah. think I'll. I need four dozen eggs. I need uh, two apples. Oh yeah, right over Matthew. Yeah. Let's just put it right over Matthew. Well, the problem though too is it's written in Syriac. So I also uh, the, the issue could be if you don't know what the language is, what's the? Uh, I'll just use this to write my grocery <laughs> list on or whatever. But there's three layers of it. So anyway, it's very interesting. And seventeen hundred and fifty years. Again, how do we know the text is authentic, Chris? This is another example, serious example, where they look at the text and keep comparing it to older versions. That's why you have—they're all translations, but the consistency is—there's nothing like it. Shakespeare is acclaimed, and no one doubts Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare, and yet the amount of textual evidence— for the New Testament and the Old Testament is it, it trumps anything, any other literature. Well, I was telling you that I studied under Dr. Wallace, and he has the line that always stuck with me. He says, we have an embarrassment of riches, and we don't have the original text. That's the inspired and errant word of God is the original text. But we have so many New Testament manuscripts, as he would say, the New Testament is in there. It's in there. We have it. It's just we have to go through and comb through all the various manuscripts that we have, and we have so many that it's an embarrassment of riches. So anyway, this only adds to the embarrassment of riches. I, I think that's great. Thank you, Alan, once again. That was great. Uh, my headline, Chris, is dur- during Yom HaZikarim, Israel's Memorial Day, uh, the headline is, Remembering the Druze, Muslims, and Christians— I want to say that again, Chris. This is concerning Israel and their Memorial Day. Remembering the you mean Dru- that apartheid state, Israel? That apartheid state. Remembering the Druze, Muslims, and Christians who gave their lives for the Jewish state. And there is. Uh, the, uh, Israel's defense ministry counts 24,213 people as military fatalities, including those serving as police officers and prison guards, and victims of terrorist attack dating back to the state's founding 75 years ago. So 24,213. And of those, 427 of them were Druze, 221 Bedouins, 
27 Christians and 10 Circassians, which means that the that Israel is saying, yes, this is this is our Memorial Day. This is the birth of the, since the birth of the Jewish state, people have given their lives, and they have memorials for each of these groups. That's an amazing thing. I bet they are buried up on Mount Herzl as well, which is Israel's basically their national cemetery, their Arlington National Cemetery. So go ahead. I didn't. Well, I, no, I'm no, guessing no, no, that they are. That's fine. But Druze leader Amal Nasser El Din lost his son. He, this was in 1969. The 95-year-old Druze leader uh, has been organizing efforts to memorialize those heroic Israelis. Listen what he said. This is a Druze man. To attain a strong, independent state, you must sacrifice. Mm. And if I have to, I'll sacrifice another son. Wow. That's an amazing statement for the Jewish state, this Druze, who is a, a, it's a branch of Islam, Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a respected religion in Israel. A number of them serve in the Israeli army. We've, we, you and I have eaten at Druze restaurants. Uh, some of the best food. Some of the best food and some of the best citizens mm-hmm. of Israel. And this is an example of that. Has- and what makes it even more interesting is that some of those Druze, their families are on— the, most Druze live up in north Israel, right on the border of Lebanon and Syria. And some of their family are just on the other side of the border in Syria. And they have decided as a people, wherever, whatever country you're in, whatever country we live in, we will give our entire life to. We're not here to make a country— you know, as Druze, we are here to serve the country that allows us to live uh, out our faith. And so there you go right there. That's exactly. And Israel gives the Druze all the freedom to, to honor their, their faith, the Druze faith. So what do you have? Our last one. Um, yes, I have this one called, uh, in, in light of the Memorial Day and what you just read about that Israel's doing, Netanyahu, on Remembrance Day, Israelis must remember we are brothers. Protesters shouted, shame and go home and loudly sang the anthem at ceremonies across the country. But the the problem that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has is, of course, uh, most of the Israelis don't like him right now. And so, and they're very vocal about it. They're very vocal. That's nothing new. That's nothing new, but how can I say they're more vocal than they normally are? Uh, the protests are still happening. So anywhere Netanyahu gets up to speak, there's going to be protesters. And I think he's trying to say, hey, don't forget, even on a special day like this, on Memorial Day, we're still brothers. So you, you, I know you don't like me. I know you don't like my policies, but let's have respect for those who who have lost their lives. And so anyway, even on Remembrance Day, um, their Memorial Day, Israel continues to uh, uh, speak their political mind to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. You got to love that. All right, Steve, here we go. Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Chris, we have tried to emphasize today as we've read from Revelation chapter 14, the everlasting, the eternal good news. The good news, yep. So, Chris, we, uh, since I had not in my vocabulary anything close to good news in Yiddish, we looked it up on the in uh, Google. Oh, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I'll try to attempt to do it. We're going to get criticized by at least one of our seven listeners. You try and see if it's the same. Good news. Okay, good. I have good news. Good news. Good news. <laughs> what? So bring the criticism, so people. Y- Yiddish. Yiddish is the eternal good news. That's right. We're talking about the good news. The good news of the gospel. Uh, the, it's good no matter how you slice it. Good or good or news or newt. That's right. It's good news. That is exactly right. But the Yiddish word is good news. Good news. <laughs> You sound like your friends from the Netherlands. <laughs> they probably would understand they, me. They're probably laughing their heads yeah. off. And I'm glad they have the good news. I hope you have the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we talked all about the judgment, but the reality is it's good news. Because good news. you, too, can be saved from the judgment to come, and that's what we want you to I'm know. glad we don't good have to news. pronounce it in order to get into heaven. That's right. Exactly. It's because it's good news. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, two things really quick. Go to foiequip.org right now. Get over there. Sign up for my class, Israel's Independence and its Leaders. We're going to have a great three weeks looking into those three to four different leaders that helped establish the Jewish state, especially as they honor their 75th anniversary 
since statehood in 1948. Again, that's foi.equip.org. That's where you can register. And, Steve, encounter. People can come. They can hang out with us. They can come to the headquarters. They well, can wait a minute. We don't want to discourage them. They don't have to hang. That's not a requirement. No, but they might but see But they us. get a great experience with encounter. All right. Well, go to foi.org forward slash encounter. All of these things are in our show notes. Hey, guess what? We'll see you next week.